Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's great to be here, Dan. Um, Chris, <clears throat> uh, good, to get, good to have you back. I had a week off last week, um, and I want to kick off a question about China. Um, you know, we've seen some some recent weakness in China that's been driven by their their shadow banking system. Um, specifically, the you know are the are the credit risks in China a threat to the U.S. equity market? Yeah, I I don't think they are immediately, and the real question is going to be any policy response. And the typical policy response is to flood the market with liquidity. And, you know, that in and of itself isn't going to address the balance sheet issues that exist in China. And it's not going to address the economic malaise that uh, is driven by those balance sheet issues, quite frankly. So, you know, to arrest the issues in China, we need to see more income directed to the household sector that can then uh, be used to boost consumption. But without an increase in household wealth, you're going to continue to see a malaise in economic activity. As I don't think they're going to resort back to the infrastructure spending in the property market and just further exacerbate those imbalances. Um, The biggest move so far has been a temporary boost in liquidity. We'll see to what degree and where that liquidity flows, it can certainly flow out of China, and it could actually benefit U.S. equity markets if, in fact, it found its way into our markets. So if anything, I would expect a, a little bit of a buffer, a tailwind from an increase in global liquidity associated with that. And hopefully we see a, a real radical change in their view towards stimulus, and we've gotten some evidence of that overnight with I think someone from the PBOC acknowledging that we may need to send stimulus to the household level. So, but no immediate threat, no. Okay. Um, maybe another immediate threat or potential threat, uh, inflation. Let's talk about inflation here for a moment. Um, you know, we've seen what has resulted in strengthening energy prices, and, and that appears to be bleeding into potential for, for higher inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these, these inflationary pressures, they're, they're combining with stronger economic data, continued strength in employment. Uh, which were and resulting in, in uh, enforcing the Treasury yield curve to, to move higher. Mm-hmm. So the question, you know, do you foresee a material increase in, in interest rates from the current levels? I, I really don't. I think it's there's there's two, I think, underlying elements <clears throat> that are that are driving a move up in the low end of the range for what I think Treasuries will trade in. Um, the upper range really hasn't made a material shift. And so I do think we'll just continue to consolidate within the current shape of the yield curve, and we won't see a material breakout higher in interest rates. The first reason is inflationary cycles are cyclical in and of themselves. So you have an increase in inflation, then as that inflation uh, impacts demand and tighter monetary policy impacts demand, you see those inflationary pressures roll over. Meanwhile, the lag effect of any increase in wages finally starts to catch up with the cyclical downturn in inflation. And so you get some relief in in consumption. And that's what we've seen is a little bit of pickup in demand and consumption. And then typically you see a further strengthening in inflationary pressures. And I think that's where we are. I don't think we're going to see a significant shift higher in these inflationary pressures. It's more we're putting a floor in 
and we're going to discover um, to what degree you know the previous high in inflation becomes the current floor. So are we going to bottom it in around three percent, and ultimately across time, meaning years, we're going to uh, sit between three and five percent, which is a materially higher threshold than inflation. Uh, than what we're used to. So I think that's part of it. And I think the, the move higher in the yield curve is an acknowledgement of that fact. Um, some of the strength we've seen in the underlying economic data, whether it's the recent jobs report or the recent retail sales numbers, is just massively distorted by the seasonal adjustments right now. We're still moving through this period of distortions in seasonal adjustments and adjustment factors in economic data uh, due to the the volatility in that data from shutting down the economy during COVID and then reopening it. Um, the underlying consumer spending patterns are, are weak. They're incredibly weak. Uh, they're going to remain weak. Um, and so I think that's also why we've seen the low end of of the range and yield curves move higher, but the high end really hadn't moved up. It understands and acknowledges the muted nature of economic growth. And then when you, you really look out, we're not going to get a reacceleration in economic activity. So we're going to be bouncing along trend growth or lower, uh, probably through the first half of 2014. And we'll cycle through months where inflation ticks down and months when inflation ticks up. Um, and we're just going to see an overall kind of consolidation. Um, and then one other big headlines coming up here um, next week is we've got a, a BRICS summit, um, and this comes right off the heels of, of India, uh, made some crude oil payments to the UAE in, in rupees, mm -hmm. and notably not in U.S. dollars. <laughs> yeah. um, and so you know, the expectation next week is, a, or, or I guess there's a potential next week for a, uh, a BRICS currency to be announced. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you think the implications will be uh, if that is exercised for the U.S. dollar. Yeah, so this is very much in line with <clears throat> with the transition away from <clears throat> a U.S. dollar as the sole reserve currency for the bulk of global trade. It, it's not, you know, cataclysmic and that all of a sudden we stop using the dollar. It's just further evidence that countries are moving away for geopolitical reasons. Countries are moving away for financial reasons. Uh, the U.S. Is, is fighting tooth and nail. Um, it's not a coincidence that, you know, Yellen's been on a world tour um, visiting countries and addressing some of these issues. But the world's going to move away from the U.S. dollar. We've abused the privilege. Um, it, it's no longer functional. What's interesting and I think underappreciated is the large block of countries that are coming together within the BRICS is sufficient across a longer period of time to, you know, materially reduce the market share uh, that the U.S. dollar has in global trade. And it, you know, that's going to change geopolitics and, and change the role over the of the dollar in capital markets over a really long period of time. Um, and the U.S. has done itself no favors in the way it's managed its balance sheet um, there was a recent paper out of the St. Louis Fed that discusses how close we are um, to having real issues in, in kind of fiscal dominance, meaning um, the Fed's going to have to just fund deficits and, you know, with that comes higher inflation. So 
you know, we've abused our positions geopolitically. We've abused it fiscally. Um, and that's just kind of coming home to roost. There's, there's no question about that. So again, comes on the heels of, of other announcements. I do think we underestimate uh, the potential for this BRICS currency. You know, it's not going to be gold-backed. It may reference gold, um, and it, we will see if, uh, over time, if there's a secondary market that develops for bonds in this currency as well. And if you do get secondary markets, then that's really how you would change the role of the dollar because you'd have real liquidity associated with this. So I think it's, it's again, it's all a part of the evolution that we've seen for the last decade or so and, and is going to continue. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's, let's wrap up today uh, just talking about the current marketplace. Um, you know, so last time we recorded, right, we were looking at, you know, a, a pretty strong risk-on sector rotation in, in the U.S. equity markets, and, and that was happened through the month of July. Uh, and then, you know, here we are sitting in mid-August, um, and August's trading activity, it's, it's witnessed a a reversal in the equity market strength. So, um, you know, last question is, you know, what, what should investors read into the current equity market consolidation? Yeah, I, look, I think the equity markets are going to reflect what we've seen on the on the fixed income market within treasuries, which is, um, you know, a rise in yields and a quick compression back. Um, we're digesting the fact that there is no great second half recovery. We're digesting the fact that we're going to continue to bring earnings estimates down. <clears throat> so um, reported earnings, while, quote, they beat estimates, is kind of a useless analysis because we lowered estimates to the level that we could beat them. The reality is they're down 8% year over year. And it's not going to surprise me if we have to bring estimates lower in the fourth quarter. And the real challenge to estimates is, uh, the expected growth in 2024 is just not going to be there. We're not going to have line of sight that we're going to have higher earnings in 24 until we get probably well past the first quarter. So I think the market has started to digest that. And we saw in, in July a very strong sector rotation. I expect to see these rotations continue. As areas get oversold, they'll rally. As other areas where there's excess exuberance, like in AI, They'll sell back off, and the broad index is just going to continue to churn. And the only thing that would interrupt that is if we get some dislocations within uh, either the, the credit markets, which there's still a very real potential to. Uh, there's very serious issues in mortgage origination land right now. Or we get disruptions in liquidity, um, and that would come in the form of the Treasury's announced a very significant refunding in the back half of this year, uh, and to the extent those proceeds don't come out of the reverse repo, then that's going to be a real constraint on liquidity. And we're in that seasonally weak period that we've all talked about. So there may be some crescendoing of a correction here, September to October. But the reality is, you know, the market just has to digest fairly mediocre earnings and mediocre growth expectations and um, a, a mediocre outlook. So I expect us to go sideways. Yeah. Sunny. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, let's uh, wrap it up there for today. So thank you, Chris. Uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. 
The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.